You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hi, and welcome to The Compass, the podcast documenting the struggles of life as an artist. I'm Leah Walsh. Hi, everyone. I feel like I haven't really been checking in in these intros lately because we're in this endless quarantine right now, which is so um, necessary and so frustrating. So I feel like I just haven't, I haven't been in the mood to share that much about what I'm going through. And we're fine. A lot of it is just uh, the waiting and the static nature of where we are right now. We're going through it, and I'm just trying to take the pressure off myself to feel like I'm accomplishing much at this point, honestly. Um, That's not what this time is about for me. For me, um, you know, I'm supporting the family with my day job and parenting. Frankie and I are, you know, on on as parents all the time right now without any breaks. So that's where all my energy is going. I'm thinking about you guys. I'm really missing uh, community, missing seeing theater live at this moment. Um, yeah. I pr- I'll, I'll get in the mood. I'll get in the mood to talk more about my own personal situation sometime soon, but that's where I am at the moment. My guest today is Carmen Zillis. Carmen is an actor who I've met through mutual friends years ago. I've loved seeing her in shows all over the city. And she's just someone who I'm always aware of what she's doing and know that I'll always come away enjoying her work. I was so glad that she agreed to be on The Compass. I hope you enjoy the 160th episode of The Compass. wrapped up in that question is also what is the dark side for you most often like when I say that what do you think of yeah um well the dark side for me I mean I've basically uh struggled with depression for my whole life almost um so the dark side for me as an artist is really connected to just the dark side for me as a person Mm-hmm. Um, it basically means like, I don't really want to do anything. I don't want to get out of bed. I don't want to talk to anyone. I don't want to see anyone. Um, and I, it's like this feeling that I just kind of want to disappear and yeah, from the world, from myself, from everybody. Um, And that's sort of been a thing that has been with me for as long as I can remember, kind of. Well, not that long, but at least since I was like a teenager, I think. Um, I think it like started when I went through puberty, really, like this feeling, this shift in me. Um, So I've sort of the biggest thing that helps me with the dark side is really simple and it's just exercise. <laughs> I find that like just moving and in any kind of way that like makes me sweaty, that like gets my blood pumping um, and releases endorphins like hugely helps. But the other thing that I've kind of learned over the years is that sometimes I just have to ride 
the waves out. Like I just have to sit in that moment for a while because I think when I first started experiencing like what would be termed like major depressive episodes, I was very scared of that and didn't un and was like, oh my God, what's happening? And um, and as I got older and like went through those and came out of them, I started to sort of see that with time, I just naturally came out. Mm. Um, and so now when I start feeling that way, I kind of indulge it for like a little while until I feel ready to come out. And so I guess I'm really lucky in that sense because I'm sure not everybody has that experience when they have depression. But for me, sometimes it's better to just let myself do all of that stuff, like not get out of bed, like not talk to anyone, not in engage like for a little while. And then it kind of gets it, something changes. So I try not to push myself too hard when I'm in those moments. And that helps me a lot. And then when I feel a shift, I kind of really start to gently nudge myself towards action and yeah participate. How, how do you feel when you're working on something or really in a place where you need to be active and something like that hits you? Um, Are there other ways that you tackle it when you're in that situation, when you have to be interacting with people and putting yourself out there? You know, um, I, this is, this started really coming to a head for me when I started going to grad school because that it was there that I was like, I don't get an option to not show up. Mm -hmm. um, and I had no idea how to cope with that. And I was just a huge mess. I was just a mess. Like I was crying all the time in class. I would not show up. I was like, um, I was just, I was drinking too much. I was eating too much. Like I was just doing all these things to kind of numb myself. And it really was, it made a lot of my time there really hard. But um, I think I didn't, and I didn't even really understand what was going on. I was like, why do I feel this way? Um, and so since that happened to such an extreme degree and it really kind of like exploded in my face and was horrible, um, I think I've not really gotten like a lot better at it. Like there will be times when I'm like, um, I did a job that was really hard for me and I would go home after the show and eat an entire pint of ice cream and just like numb the fuck out and not pay mm -hmm. attention to anything I was feeling and um, I haven't developed like the, I think my only really good tactic right now is just to be aware of that and maybe not let myself indulge in such self, in self-destructive behaviors, but to try to do things that will soothe me. Like I try to take a bath or I try to, um, do a little bit of like um, what is it called? Free writing where you just mm -hmm. think you just write and you don't analyze and you don't stop. 
um, tea, I, like just all these like self-soothing things to kind of just like calm me down a little bit. I think I do those a lot. I've learned to do those when I'm feeling particularly kind of, um, cause I guess it's two different sides of the spectrum, right? Like when I can't really indulge in my depression, what happens is I have this like anxiety or like fight or flight thing that's happening. And that's why I use, I used to use like food or alcohol to like numb those things so I could get my self back to like a normal, go ahead. What? You, you were no, me. no, I just, I just relate to what you're saying. I just oh, hit three yeah. years sober yesterday, actually, and a lot mm-hmm. of it was about, um, you know, self-medicating anxiety. Yeah, congrats, and that's huge. Thank you, thank yeah. you. But I still, when I get those waves, it's one of those things where it's like I just want to run away. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. And so it's like trying as hard as I can to just stay present and be like really gentle with myself and forgive myself for um feeling like I'm not showing up as much as I want to be and just kind of going like it's okay (laughs) I mean I don't always succeed at that um but I also think like I'm much more aware of why I wanted to hide so badly and much more um aware that those voices are not helpful voices or true voices um and that helps me sort of stay present when you were first starting to experience depression when you were a teenager was it something you could articulate to your family or was it something that you ended up kind of dealing with for a long time by yourself and trying to figure out like is this how everyone feels or I definitely couldn't communicate about it um and just hit it and hid like a huge part of myself along with it and didn't really know like what that was about for a really long time. Well, not a really long time, but for like, until I was like in my mid twenties, I think. I mean, my, my parents definitely knew something was up and they sent me to a therapist at one point, I think when I was in my like mid teens. And I remember, um, I used to wear these huge sweatshirts and like really baggy pants. And I remember I would sit in her office in my like outfit, my costume. And she was like this, she had this like method where she didn't, she was like, it's up to you to start talking. I'm not going to ask you. (laughs) We would literally sit in silence for 45 minutes sometimes. Like really. I I didn't talk to her about anything. Like I just, nothing really came out. And I think I saw her for like a year and nothing happened. She's Um, just really sticking to her guns on that method. (laughs) Yeah. Like I later ended up talking to my dad about it and he was like, what kind of idiot therapist lets you say nothing for a year? He's like, I was paying for that. If I had known, yeah, I think now he's like really um, angry that that happened. (laughs) Yeah. No, I really kept it all in. And I think that's a big part of like, those are still things that persist with me to this day. Like I'm not good at talking to people when I'm not doing okay. I'm not great at asking for help. I'm really, um, try to do everything myself, which leads to sometimes me not doing important things that I need to Mm -hmm. do. Just ignoring things. Um, it's not healthy. (laughs) 
How are you doing right now in the midst of this global pandemic? Are you, do you live alone? I do. Um, and that's a blessing and also kind of a curse, but mostly a blessing, actually, I think. Um, just because I don't really have anybody in my life right now that I would want to be sharing space with in this way, and it would just be awful. Um, so I feel really lucky that I don't have any like roommates that I kind of know, but don't really know and who are like walking around without masks or something. Um, I'm okay. I'm okay. Um, I sprained my ankle really badly, like really badly about a week and a half ago. And, and so it means I, I can't really walk, which is like hard because I was really relying on going outside for some part of the day. Um, yeah. And on exercise, like you said. Yeah. And so that's been really, really hard. I went through a really hard time in the first week where I was kind of like really hit a low point. Um, so that was hard. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm not doing great. I'm trying to do things, but mostly I spend a lot of time looking at my phone or like watching TV that I don't care about. Yeah. And sometimes it feels like I'm just trying to pass the hours and I'm like, for what, you know, cause for our business, we don't know. I mean, I'm like, I'm not looking at any employment until next year at the earliest. Um, so I'm like, scary. what am I, what am I just like running down the hours for? There's nothing that I'm looking forward to. Like there's no date that I'm trying to, get to um I think at first I was a little bit better about just like surrendering to what was happening but I've been getting a little bit like you need to start rethinking some things like I think I have to move Mm. I might want to leave New York like I don't know I'm just like it's a lot of time until theaters might start again yeah so I've been slowly thinking about those things yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a really hard thing to not just, like you were saying, like, just try to hold your breath and get through this and be like, I'm going to hit pause until the morning comes or whatever it is. And it's glaringly obvious to me since we have a kid right now that, like, I can't do that and she's never going to be this age again and I need to, I need to be enjoying our lives because we won't have this time again, but there's still a part of me that's like, well, <laughs> we can't do anything. We can't go anywhere. Let's just wait. Are you guys in Queens right now? We're in Astoria. Yeah, we've been here the whole time. Oh, you have? Okay. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of nice that she's so young that she's not really aware of what's going on. but And doesn't like miss all her friends. And... Yes, but it is disturbing. <laughs> we had a kid come up to her in the park the other day and she started freaking out. And it's like... You- this should be a time when she's like really connecting with other kids. And now she just thinks it's normal to try to stay away from them. Yeah. So that's been pretty sad. Hopefully she'll forget that behavior. Yeah, I'm sure she will. Immediately after this quarantine is over. I'm sure she will. Yeah. I um, have a kid and I'm like, I'm kind of grateful. Cause I'm just like, I don't know how parents are doing it right now. Honestly, 
my hat I is off. Don't either. <laughs> I've been talking about this with my other childless friend. We're just like, I don't know. I don't know how everybody's doing it. I would have lost. Just hat. know that we're all kind of daydreaming about your experience. Yeah, <laughs> of like 100%. having time That's during. That's what I'm saying. Time. Like I, I'm so lucky. I don't. Yeah, I. It's totally a grass is greener. Yeah, but I'm like my grass is pretty green. I have my own issues, but they're just mine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I know you've done a lot of work in the off-Broadway community and the regional theater community. Can I ask a little bit of um, kind of how you put together the quilts of the financial side of that? I know it's kind of a weird thing to ask about now when nobody's working. Yeah. Um, Um, Well, (laughs) I have had a lot of jobs. Um, I've had a lot of jobs. I mean, I used to wait tables um, way back in the day. Um, And then, and that would be like on and off. And then I really didn't want to do that anymore. So I started doing like freelance copy editing which was great, um, but it wasn't paying me enough. So like it was almost enough, but not like, I also have to send money every month because my mom is ill and I'm responsible for the financial part of her care. And so I, I kind of need to make like even more than like most people in my situation would have to make. So, um, I then started, bartending um two nights a week at first but it was like a 4 p.m to 4 a.m shift that I would do Friday and Saturday um but it was good in that like basically that meant like Saturday and Sunday were just a wash but like those aren't really days when I'm auditioning anyway or I'm not usually like there will be like the occasional weekend audition but I can I can kind of pull it together for like the occasional weekend audition. Um, so that's, I, so that's what I was doing when I wasn't doing, um, theater work. Um, and when I was doing theater work, I would just kind of supplement it with the copy editing. Um, but I was always living hand to mouth. Like I have no savings. (laughs) Um, It's really tricky. And also I'm in this apartment and I've been here for four years and four years ago when I signed this lease, I was in a really different financial situation. I had some savings. I had done um, two movies and some TV and, um, and I had a job when I signed the lease. And so that, I, I was able to like get an apartment that like now if I was trying to apply for it, I couldn't, I wouldn't be able to afford and I wouldn't pass. I wouldn't be right. approved. Um, and so I'm in this really hard situation. I have been in a hard situation for the last, like I think two years where I am, I can't afford to live here, but I also am in such a dire financial situation that I can't afford to, I can't, I won't get approved on, any kind of lease really um the only way is if I like moved into someone's apartment that they already had a lease for and I was like subletting their room but you know we're at this age now where most people live with their partners or their families and 
or alone, you know? And so I don't have a lot of people that I would want to, could live with. And so I feel like I'm making this compromise to, to work a lot and to be in this really over this apartment that I can only afford if I just hustle all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was bartending like four nights a week um, before Corona. Um, and now I don't have that income. So hence me having to move, but you know, it was just like dumb jobs that I, I was always hoping that maybe I could parlay some of my actual skills into my day job, but I don't want to teach. Um, and I'm not very good at like making my own business. Do you know what I mean? Like for a while, yes. like maybe I could start my own editing business and like edit people's scripts or edit people's screenplays or pilots or, you know, but I never did anything with that. I mean, maybe I should now, but. No. And then you're, I mean, it's hard when it's something that's adjacent to our industry because most of the artists don't have money to pay for mm-hmm. services like that. So yeah. You end up doing a lot of favors for people, or yeah, which is no one's fault, but it doesn't turn into the kind of income you need. Right, I know, and so yeah, that felt a little daunting. Like when I first moved to New York, I got a yoga teacher train, a yoga teaching certificate, and started trying to be a yoga teacher. And it's pretty much exactly like trying to be an actor. You have to like, <laughs> it's so thankless and difficult, and. I think I learned a lesson really early about what it is to sort of try to set up, try to make yourself your business and try to make enough money to support yourself just by sort of freelancing at studios or trying to teach, trying to get clients to teach private lessons. Like it was really, it was a full time hustle. And I just was like, no. So I think that has also like felt daunting for that reason for a while. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I know that you do some writing as well, either you're in, that you're in a, a writing group with some of our friends that yes. we've, we've talked about. Have you had any of this time at home? Um, has it felt inspirational or has it been even tougher? I know I've, I've been having a hard time being creative in any way. Um, honestly, it has really been wild how much more creative I felt as a writer. Um, That's awesome. It's weird. It's great. I'm I'm really grateful. I mean, obviously I have little stretches of time where I'm like, "Ugh, I can't." Um, but you know, it actually really did start with Writers Gym because we've been doing this for years, like sort of on and off casually. I don't even know how long. I want to say since like 2015. So maybe And did that just come out of you guys going to grad school together at Yale or Yeah, sort of. Um I think Ceci in her episode talked a little bit about this, but um, basically Aaliyah Monty Brown, who you have to have on the podcast because she is amazing. Um, 
but she just had a baby on Saturday, so maybe this is not. Oh my goodness! Moment. Yeah, um, <laughs> we'll wait a little while before yeah. I reach out to her I mean, for not, anything. I know. But she, her mom, had a dance company in the seventies and eighties, maybe the nineties. Actually, she had a dance company until very recently, um, and so she had this huge loft in Soho that had a dance studio in it that she bought for like $2, you know, back in the seventies. And she was able to keep it. And her mom and stepdad were out of town for like a good long while, maybe two or three months or the whole summer or something. And so Aaliyah offered the space out to use for free for artists who wanted it and sent this massive email out to like, I think, all of the Yale population that she knew or short tangentially knew the NYU population. I think a lot of Juilliard kids as well. And just said, I have this space. Um, these are the times available. Let me know if you want to book this space for this time and it's yours. And so a lot of people started using that space for stuff. Like even our teacher, Evan Yanulis, I think did a workshop of her play there for like two weeks or something. There were all kinds of stuff going on. There was all kinds of stuff going on. And the writer's gym sort of started there. I think I think it was like Aaliyah and Sassy and maybe Gabe Levy who started it um, and invited like, I think she sent an email out like, who wants to be part of this? And I was like, me. So we just showed up and it was like, the original group was, I think, like seven or eight of us, and most of us are still with it. We've gotten a couple new members since quarantine. And have you, were you writing at all before that experience, or was that kind of what made you jump into that? I've always written um, since I was a kid. Uh, like, I've wanted to be an actor and a writer since I was, like, four. My mom showed me this thing that I had to fill out and, like, pre-kindergarten and kindergarten and first grade something and every time they'd ask me like what do you want to be I wrote actor writer um that's amazing yeah um yeah and so my teachers I was very I was like a very advanced student verbally um like and uh what's the word for like here goes my um I was <laughs> I left all my talents back in my childhood. But anyway, I skipped I skipped third grade because I was really far ahead of all of my classmates. And my teachers always used to give me these like private writing assignments. So I would read, a, they'd give me a book to read and then they would give me the assignment to write either an alternate ending or like continue writing the book. So I have a bunch of those. And, uh, Actually, during quarantine, I have reread some of those books that they assigned to me. I, like, ordered them on the internet because I didn't still own them. Um, they're great. I was like, those are so good. Um, those sound like wonderful teachers. Yeah, I had some great, great teachers. Um, yeah, I also was weird. I started first grade at age three. So I was oh my. really... And then I skipped third grade. So I was really young for my grades. Uh, and so anyway, um, so I always did that. But then I think um, acting just sort of like took over. Um, and yeah, 
I had this English teacher in high school and he was amazing and he's he's passed away. It's really sad. He had like a he had like a blood disease because he used to play football in high school and like broke his back twice. So oh, then he then had like all these health issues as a result. But he it was our AP English class and he was like he was just not interested in teaching what was on the AP curriculum. So he just, he gave us all of his favorite books. And so we read like all the presidents, all the King's men, um, the Magus, like Sophie's Choice. What is that? There's something a lot 49, that pension book. We read a lot of like out there books. And then he had us do all these writing exercises that were like in the style of, or, um, and that was it. Like, we didn't even really have essays or, like, it was just all kind of creative writing. And I was, like, so excited about it and thought I was going to be, like, and we would, he would talk about our, it was, like, kind of a workshop. Like, he would talk about everyone's writing in the next class, like, kind of like a workshop and give us pieces to read so we could talk about them. And I was, like, I'm sure I'm going to be really good. Like, I'm sure I'm going to be one of the best ones. And there was this incredible girl, I'll never forget her, named Julia Kahlo, who was in, like, all of my classes, and she was brilliant. And her writing was so good. You would always be like, look again at this person's writing. And I think at that moment I was like, oh, you're not very good at this. Maybe you should stop. Which is sad, but um, I also came from, like, a house where, like, my dad really wanted me to be like the best at mm. things. Like I think he was very much like, what's the point of doing things if you're not going to be the best at them? Um, so yeah, but writing and writing was some, and then when I got into um, acting professionally or even in school, I, I was really daunted by the idea of writing a play. It just felt, like, how do people do that? You know, um, I don't understand. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I didn't, I just wrote for fun. Like, and I have journals, like I have journals from all my life. I have, I have like over a hundred journals. Um, but yeah, it was really in quarantine that I actually, once there was one summer that I was living at my mom's house for the summer because she was retiring and trying to figure out what her next thing was going to be in her life. And so I, I'm, I'm her only child. So I like lived with her for the summer and tried to help her out. And during that time I wrote two screenplays. Um, and that was like the first time I'd ever done something like that. But I had the like freedom to sort of sit for three to four hours a day like I had a routine I would go to the gym in the morning I would come home and take a shower and eat and then I would sit in a cafe like right around the corner from my mom's apartment and I would write for four maybe even five hours but sometimes somewhere in between three to five hours and it was one of my favorite times in my life um so but then after that I I I didn't really write anymore until now. And what form does it take for you now? Are you still writing scripts or is it more like it's essays or novels? It's all kinds of forms. Like I'm doing, I'm also horrible because I'm writing like four different things at the same time. Um, <laughs> so I'm trying to write a play. 
There's no rules right now. So you yeah, literally. You want. <laughs> I'm ready to play. I'm also writing this like extremely strange piece that I had a hard time like figuring out what I wanted to write about. So one day I literally looked up like fantasy writing prompts, not even because I really like fantasy writing, but just because I was like, I just want something that's not necessarily really in our world. Like I just, because the world feels so daunting right now, I just didn't want to think about our world. And so one of the, the prompt that I liked the most was, um, Oh my God, I'm forgetting it now, but it's like, you are in a family, you, you're in, you're in a family that makes potions and, um, one of your siblings wants to make the potions business that has been just like a small family business um they want to take it corporate and like sell it and (laughs) make a lot of money and I was like that's really interesting so I started writing this story about like uh this family of potion makers who live in New York City and like kind of operate as like a drug dealing business because I was also watching high maintenance at the time so I was was like and that's been really fun and then I'm also just writing little pieces about like sort of like struggling a lot with identity right now and so I'm writing a lot of little I'm writing a lot about that sort of do you find with your writing or with your acting that you're able to navigate the line between um, like your creative expression and then like your business mind? Like, do you, do you know what I mean? Do you ever feel trapped into being like, okay, I need to write something that I I could sell or that I can star in and how can I write the most marketable thing as opposed to, yeah, whatever you're feeling in your heart at that day. I used to, and I think that's why I didn't write for a really long time because I was always thinking that it had to be something that I would share with people. I was always thinking about other people's perspectives on what I wanted to create, whether that was like from a business mind or just me thinking about my audience rather than just listening to myself. Uh, It really held me back. Um, but the time I wrote the screenplay, that was the two screenplays, that was really just out of my own heart. Like one of my screenplays was like almost a two hour long movie. And I sent it to a few friends and they were like, this is never going to be a movie. You know that, right? And I was like, I, I don't care. Like I just read it. <laughs> um, but now during quarantine, I think because I'm just like, in this place of why not and really trying to find things that actually give me joy um throughout this time (laughs) I think I feel none of that sort of like I don't even think about who might read it or there's a couple people that I've talked about it with who I sometimes wish I hadn't because now they're like can I read it and I'm like oh now I'm just thinking about you reading this the whole time I write it but um (laughs) I really try not to think about that. I really try not to because I think part of like what has been so hard for me in this time being a professional creative person is that I feel like I just got into business mind and really lost my creative anything. And that has been a huge, 
I've been aware of it, but I really haven't been able to address it until this quarantine time and kind of go, what happened? And like, where can you get, how can you get some of that stuff back? Yeah. And it's very daunting for me to think about our industry right now. Because this pause to me feels like it's an opportunity to change things, you know, like when it starts up again, how can we do it differently? And obviously our industry is not built for safety nets for any of the artists involved. It's not, you know, the off, I know the fair wage on stage has done a lot of great things, but like the payment for off Broadway is not at that level. Um, any sort of savings like that stuff is just, it's not structured that way for long-term planning. And I just really wonder if we can come out of this <laughs> in a different way. I mean, I'm, even though it feels like the people with the puppet strings are, you know, just in a different universe. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm very, I tend to sometimes be very pessimistic and think like, this is going to be especially hard on those of us who aren't on everybody's list for things, who don't have a group of people they regularly work with who don't have a lot of television credits and we're just really trying to break into that mm -hmm. market for lack of a better word who you know I have done a lot of off-Broadway but that is that work is really hard for me to get you know like I don't I I don't get so many like I'm I'm not on anybody's list for a lot of those off-Broadway projects, you know, and I think it's going to be really hard for those of us who were struggling before this happened to, right. to be, to feel like people were paying attention to us in the casting process. And I'm kind of like, I feel like we're going to be the last people to make it back into the workforce because the projects that are going to start up immediately are going to be ones that people can sort of put together easily or like, or, you know what I mean? Like, I think there are going to be a fewer projects. And so it's going to become even more competitive. And I, yeah, I don't know. But I also, you know, I've been talking to Evan Cabinet, who runs LCT3. Evan Cabinet, mm -hmm. is that his name? Or is it Evan Cabinet? I don't know how to pronounce his last name, which is weird. Because I've, I've always said it, Cabinet. Yeah. Let's go with that. And he's such a great person to talk to because he's really doing a lot of deep thinking about like how institutions have to change. And um, I really wonder about what other artistic directors and I mean, because I've never been on Broadway, so I don't even know how that shit is functioning. But <laughs> <laughs> as far as off Broadway, I'm just really wondering what artistic directors and 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 all of that sort of staff is thinking about right now in terms of how if they'd like to change and how like I have no idea um it seems like Evan is asking a lot of I don't want to say the right questions but questions that hit home for me um but I don't know like honestly I'm like I don't I don't see this going well for a lot of people on our level, for lack of a better word. Yeah. Um, 
Oh my God. It's hard for me to even think about the present right now. It's very, it's very difficult not to be able to plan ahead for me. I think I'm discovering a lot of my control issues and the fact that I'm, I'm freaking out that I can't plan my time or like to know, have something to look forward to or things like that. Literally nothing. It's so bizarre. Like very strange. I have nothing to look forward to or plan for literally nothing. And that is insane. I mean, I was supposed to be in a play that was supposed to start rehearsals on March 31st. And they're optimistic in saying that they want to remount it in the spring of 2021, which I'm like, that Frankie was in a similar situation, but we'll see. I'm like, we will see guys. We will see, you know, Mm -hmm. um, it's a very timely piece. It's, I I don't think it's, um, I don't think it's, uh, off limits for me to say what it was. Um, it was, uh, Twilight Los Angeles, 1992. Oh, it's signature. Yeah. Anna DeVere Smith piece. That's a very timely piece. Uh, riots in 92 after Rodney King's reading and it, yeah, it's very timely, but that doesn't make me think that that makes me feel like signature is really going to try to put it on as soon as they possibly can, but they have no control over what's happening with the coronavirus. Right. And we're still in the first wave and it's not going well, <laughs> you know, like, so I don't know. <laughs> I'm like prepared for this to go on for at least another year. Oh my God. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna shift. Okay. I'm gonna shift gears. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, do you have any lessons that you've learned over the past couple of years that you're really proud of that you would want to share with me? Could be something small. Well, this isn't really a lesson, but I guess it's something that is relevant to talk about. Lessons. Um, I mean, the most basic lesson that I've learned is, like, I have to remember that who I am is, I mean, I hate this saying, but, like, enough, you know, and not, I have to continue to remind myself not to try to show up as another person or, you know, and that's so tricky with acting because there are times when you do have to show up as another person. I mean, all the time but I think there are times when I still try to hide um in auditions and rehearsal processes um in life and just a really big lesson to myself is to really try to um be myself I just have two really quick questions I usually ask at the end so yeah, are there any things that you reach for again and again, like tangible things, like music you listen to or books that you read or things like that? Yeah, um, this is really weird, but my favorite book is Sophie's Choice, um, just because I love his language and the way he writes. So I kind of return to passages in that book over and over. Um, he's a really sensual writer, and I love that. Like, Sophie is a concentration camp survivor, and so when she c- 
comes to Brooklyn, she's sort of like rediscovering food for the first time. And it's really, Mm. there's some beautiful passages about that. And also it's a book that I have lived in almost all the places that they, that appear in the book and at different times in my life. And so that is, it's a really special book to me. Um, I also, let me think. Um, I mean, I take walks. Like, walks are really a big thing for me. Like, my mom and I used to go on walks every day. Um, and sometimes twice a day. And it was, like, a really important ritual for us both. And so I do that a lot. Um, and, like, my mom used to touch all the flowers and plants. She really loved flowers and plants. And so I do that. Like, I literally touch the flowers and the plants. Um, what else? Oh, I. my mom's favorite book is 100 Years of Solitude. And I just, I just bought that for Frankie to read. He wanted to yeah, read it. Yeah, it's really good. I, um, I tried to read it in Spanish because my mom was like, you have to do it. And it's really hard, but I'm trying. But I return to the English version uh, often when I'm in a dark place. And also just writing. Like I write, I set a timer for 20 minutes and I just write. And I do that every day if possible. And that really helps. And I find that timers really work for me. I set a lot of timers when I'm writing. So I will say, I'm going to set a timer for 20 minutes and then you're going to stop and take a little break, see how you feel. And often I want to keep going. So, but time, like little time chunks like that really work for me. That's great. Um, And then the final question is, have you seen anything or read anything recently, any art form that you want to recommend? (laughs) Although you just kind of did. (laughs) Sort of. Yeah. Um, I said it before, but this series, I May Destroy You, on HBO, I'm really loving it. Um, what else? Oh, I mean, I was so, I'm so late to the party, but I just watched Portrait of a Girl on Fire, Woman on Fire. Yeah, I haven't watched it yet. Forget. It's supposed to be really good. It's so good. It's really beautiful. Um, and... Oh, I'm reading this amazing book right now that I think everybody should read. It's called um, The Undocumented Americans. It's by this woman named um, Carla Conejo Villavicencio. And she is one of the first undocumented immigrants to graduate from Harvard. And she, um, when she was on DACA, she decided to travel around the country. She literally wrote her immigration lawyer's like number on her arm in Sharpie and went around the country and met and immersed herself in a lot of undocumented peoples, groups of undocumented people all over the country and started writing about their experiences and wrote this book under her own name for like the first time. And I think she really was like, I want to change the narrative around the only immigrants that we hear about or write about are these, are the dreamers, are these like perfect immigrants. Like she wanted to really talk to people who are doing, she talked to people who, uh, undocumented workers who had to clean up after 
9-11 and like people who are doing sort of the work that nobody else wants to do and it's an incredible book and she she's really like a punk rock writer <laughs> like it's kind of like I don't know how to describe her voice she just doesn't give a fuck if you like uh, <laughs> I want to read so it good. I feel like I have just seen this popping up it's a lot of really a lot really speakers, good so. and I really think everybody should read it um conversations valuable to your life as an artist and would like to support the ongoing production of The Compass, please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash thecompasspodcast. Pledges start at as little as $1 a month. Anything you can give would be greatly appreciated. Also, if you have a moment, please rate or review in iTunes. Every little bit helps other listeners to find the podcast. I'd like to thank the following people for their generosity. The Compass cover art is by Kim Miller, Music by Brandon Speeth, audio assistance from Nick Choksi, and a special thanks to Frankie J. Alvarez. See you next time. Hi y'all, this is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Don't you love an extra hundred dollars in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get a hundred dollars back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting one hundred dollars back and one hundred percent accurate taxes. Only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 